0: my name's Alex Barrett, and I'm the lead pastor here. I forgot to introduce myself. You're like, who's this guy that keeps talking? Uh, So what I want to do right now is is transition into our sermon series uh, called Beginning Again. And uh, if this is your first time here and you haven't kind of caught up anything that we've been talking about, I want to catch you up. And beginning again, the tagline is, it's never too late for a do-over. And what you find as you decide to follow Christ is that he wants to help you in every area of your life. But if you're like me, you look at different areas and you think, like, I need a lot of work in that area. And then as you maybe make progress, you look at another area, and you're like, I need a lot of work in that area. It could be from work, it could be in your finances, it could be in your parenting, in your relationships, in your marriage, all sorts of things. But what God wants to do is he, he takes a, a whole picture of how do we live according to his ways in each area of life. And so that's what this series is about. Whether we've messed up, whether we're not measuring up, whether we are discouraged, whether we feel like we're not not growing, how, how does God help us right where we are? And so here's where we've been so far. We kicked this off on Easter Sunday, April 17th. We started with a starting point, uh, why and really how a do-over is possible. And it's no secret, it's possible because of Jesus. And it's only possible because of Jesus. We can't try harder. Uh, we need Jesus and his power to actually change us. And so that's where we started. Uh, April 24th. A couple weeks ago, we talked about building on the rubble and how to get past your past. Have you done things that you regret in your life? And they just crop up every now and again, or maybe they crop up a lot, and it feels very difficult to move forward. Well, in that message, we talked specifically about how do we have the right perspective despite the wrong that we've done. And then last week, we continued talking about transformation, and that is how you can change your thinking, and if you change your thinking, it will change your life. Uh, Our thinking actually happens in our heart, according to the Scriptures, and our heart guides us forward. And so as we change our perspective and what's important, we can actually make different decisions. And so if you have missed any of these sermons and you'd like to kind of catch up, uh, you can podcast, Ridgeview Church Fontana, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, the same, and that way you can stay up to date uh, with the content. So today is May 8th, and we're talking about restoration, and specifically we're talking about the topic of trust, and how do you restore relationships when trust has been broken? Now, all of us have relationships that have probably been broken over time. There could be many of us here that are in relationships that are currently broken. There's conflict that maybe has never gotten dealt with. There's divisiveness in the family. And even on Mother's Day, as we celebrate mothers, Many of us can have just a lot of bittersweet emotions relating to some of those relationship, things that we've done, things that have been done to us. And so this is a real topic that affects all of us in various ways. But the idea of restoring and restoration is despite the cracks, the blemishes, despite the brokenness, how does God help us? Uh, that's what we need. We don't need just to kind of patch things up on the exterior, put on a good face and move on. Uh, we need actually a deep restoration, really from the inside out. And as that happens, uh, we can, over time, begin to experience trust again uh, in the decisions that we make, and then also as we relate uh, to others. I did some research this past week uh, just in the nature of work. Uh, sometimes when you talk about work, it's a little bit easier because it's not as personal uh, as our relationships, right? When things are messed up at home, everything's messed up, right? But at work, we can sometimes leave it there, but there's a a researcher and an author, Paul J. Zak, who did a study long-term, and here's a quote on trust in the workplace. Trust is the key factor in all our relationships, and then this is what Paul had to say. He says, employees in high-trust organizations are more productive, have more energy at work, collaborate better with their colleagues, and stay with their employers longer than people working at low-trust companies. They also suffer less chronic stress and are happier with their lives and these factors fuel stronger performance isn't that fascinating this is talking about a workplace it's just it's work but notice how important trust is in work in just the outcome of the employees morale their productivity and the overall company and then he goes on to say compared with people at low trust companies people at high trust companies report 74% Less stress. 106% more energy at work. I love that stat. It's like not only are you peak, but you're even more energetic. You walk in and people are like, can you just throttle it back a little bit? You're at 106, we need 100, okay? And then 50% higher productivity, 13% fewer sick days, 76% more engagement, 29% more satisfaction with their lives, 40% less burnout. This is not the work that they're doing. This is not the amount of money they get paid. This is not where they're doing their work. It's connected to the trust that they have in the workplace. The way he conducted this study was he actually measured the brain's activity related to various scenarios in the workplace. And he did a a series of tests that as you took a risk to trust somebody and they were trustworthy, how that improved your willingness to work with them in the future. And so with all this research, it just began to get me thinking how important, if this is in the workplace, how much more important it is in, in family life, in marriage, in our parenting, in our church. If this can happen in the workplace, what could it be in our congregation if we're trustworthy people? What could it be when we go home and we relate to each other that trust is growing and building, not perfect, but when things get messed up, we clean up and... And trust can grow. And so trust is the key factor in all our relationships. And I think all of us would agree with that, right? It's the key factor. But it's also one of those things that is easily broken. It's easily lost. It's a struggle. And so I want to just define trust and then build on that. Here's a definition of, of trust. It's belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, effective, Etc. You ever listen to, like, read a definition that says etc.? You're like, okay, that's not as helpful as I would hope, as you're defining something with etc. But look at the words we do see. Uh, You're reliable, you're good, a little bit harder to define. You ever do definitions and you keep defining the words that they give you for the definition? Yeah. This is like a dictionary review over here, but honest and effective. So, all of those are things that we would hope we can have in relationships with people because that's built on trust. We want somebody that's reliable. We want somebody that's that's looking out for our good and our interests. Somebody that's honest, that, that follows up with what they say. They're true to their word and effective. And now that's interesting. Effective meaning that, that what you hope will happen will happen, that they, they do their part. That means to be trustworthy. All of us want this in our relationships. There's not one of us that would choose the opposite of each of those words. We, we don't want people that are unfaithful. We don't want to relate to people that say one thing and do another. And we don't want to be those those type of people uh, either. And so what I want to do is just as an analogy is uh, all of us have uh, a trust bucket. What is this called? Trust bucket. And uh, in a bucket, there's you know deposits that we make, and I'm going to be making deposits of, of money and when we do things that are trustworthy, it's like depositing money into the trust bucket. So if you give like a dollar uh, compared to, you know, maybe a nickel, man, you are really trustworthy, right? You you came through. You could have made yourself look better. You could have done the easy way to please yourself, but, but you helped somebody. You're a very trustworthy person. Now, nickel, maybe it's a smaller thing, but... The nickels still count because you're making deposits. So all of us, in what we do, build trust with people. So this trust is like a deposit. You do certain things. You, you put money in. Now, what's interesting, any of you guys have a change char, jar at home? Anybody? You like the change jar and then you wait till it gets filled up? It's your vacation fund? Or is that just me, right? I love change jars. But what's the struggle with change jars is you like to deposit, but sometimes you have to take it out, Right? Because you don't want to put 13 cents on your credit card to pay for something that ever happens, like, which it can through different, actually, I really don't know why that would ever happen, but it has to me, and I'm not going to spend my time explaining how that is. But when you start taking money out, it's like, oh, that's my my change bucket. But it's it's the same in relationships. What you deposit, uh, you also withdraw. And if you're a trustworthy person and you're depositing a lot in the trust bucket, then you actually have a lot. That you can withdraw. That is, you may not be able to show the person that, that they can trust you, but, you, but you're, what you're telling them is, trust me. And they look at the bucket and say, you know, I can trust you because you've made a lot of deposits in the trust bucket. So the key in life is to make more deposits than you withdraw with people. So what I want to do is just highlight how trust is broken. That is, how do you take money out? What happens when we lose trust with people? Well, let's go through this. First, Uh, is that we are inconsiderate. Now, that's crazy, because it's like, I'm inconsiderate a lot. In fact, I'm inconsiderate probably every day of my life. It shows up in simple things. Uh, When I get, you know, up in the morning, and I'm relating to my kids, most of the time, I'm not thinking, like, how can I consider them and put their interests above mine? Most of the time, it's like, how can I get my food when I want it and not have a mess That's left over from anyone else. At the stop sign, if we both roll up the same way, I was a split second before you. So I go first. Right? It happens in in big things, it happens in in, in small things. But when you're inconsiderate, um, it shows up in a few things that your your plans are convenient for you, but no one else. You're only considering yourself. We can do that in the workplace, we can do that in family life, we can do that in church. I have a plan, but I'm not really considering your time and you. I'm just going to build what I want. Uh, Your words as you speak, uh, you just want to get them off your chest. In our culture, they call that venting. Venting is actually something that's highly valued. Like, I was just venting, and I'll be like, you vent, do it. Actually, venting for the most part is not considerate. Why? Because you just need to tell somebody something that they need to hear. But... Consideration is how will my words land on them? How will it impact? So when we just vent and we just let people have it with our words, it's it's inconsiderate. And then another way of being inconsiderate is just being blind to the needs of others around us. Have you ever gotten so focused on your world and what you want that you literally miss what's going on around you? I can do that. That is, you're so focused, you're looking down, you're driven to do what you need to do, and there's just a lot of things unraveling and falling apart. So if you're inconsiderate, you know, you're you're taking some trust out of the relationship. It may be a little, but over time, the little, it adds up. So that's the first, being inconsiderate. The second is not keeping your word when you don't keep your promises, uh, people, they they quit taking us seriously. It's the idea of, like, talk is cheap. So if you say it and then you don't back it up, people start thinking what you say doesn't have as much value. And that pulls money out of the trust bucket. When you've committed to do something, uh, do you follow through even when it's painful? I remember my first job. I was a senior in high school. My first real job, I worked retail. Any retail people out there? Yeah? (laughs) Like, no, we're uh, technology, we're internet sales. Um, But I I worked at at Bugle Boy Outlet. Anybody remember? Bugle Boy were legit, okay? They were, I was kind of working as they weren't as legit anymore, but uh, I had a job, and I remember I uh, had like an early shift on a Saturday morning to, to work at the store. And Friday night, I had some different activities, I think, related to school, and I had to get to bed uh, really late. Saturday morning, I rolled up out of bed, went into my mom's room and said, Mom, I just, I can't work today. I'm I'm just too tired. And my mom looked at me and said, you will work today because you've committed to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm like 16, 17 years old. <laughs> I sound like a toddler. I'm so tired. I kid you, you made a commitment. But I, I'm tired. I just, the bugle, the jeans can fold themselves, you know. And, and she's like, no, you, you need to do it. And, and from that moment, what she was doing is she was saying, Alex, you need to be a trustworthy employee. You've committed to something. You need to, to follow through. Uh, oftentimes, when we follow through with our word, uh, it's not out of convenience because most of the time... When we say something and then we change our mind, there's something better for us. But what the Scripture says, you commit even to your hurt, even if it means you get less sleep, even if it means it costs you, even if it means you need to humble yourself. But not keeping your word, that takes money out. Third, making bad decisions. This really comes when people follow you. So if you're in any environment where people are looking to you or they follow you, if you're a leader in any way, if you keep making bad decisions, all the people that follow you are beginning to question, okay, he just walked into a dead end and he's lost. Or she just walked into an obstacle that looks very difficult. They're wondering if they can do the same thing. And so when you continue to make bad decisions and don't grow in wisdom... Uh, that money out of the trust bucket, again, comes out. So what happens over time as we are inconsiderate, as we don't keep our word, we just keep withdrawing. Lack of trust here, a lack of trust there. And before we know it, the trust bucket is what? It's empty. And what happens in life, as we grow in our relationships, we keep wanting things to change and we, we keep asking people, why can't we do this? And let's do. And they're looking at you, well, the bucket is empty. I don't know if I can trust you because of the patterns that you've had in your life. Now, this series is called Beginning Again, not My Life Stinks, I'm Stuck. Aren't you glad that the sermon doesn't end right now? So let's pray and just take your empty buckets and leave, right? That's a bummer. But all of us probably have leaks in our bucket or withdrawals that we made that were like, oh man, my my bucket's a little bit more empty than it should be. So the question is, how do we, again, restore? How do we rebuild so that we can begin making those deposits back into our trustworthy? And there's sometimes trust that just runs away. (laughs) So let's dig in for where do we go? What do we do? How can we get God's help? So here's what the scriptures say. Love and faithfulness Rebuild trust. Now, I want you, as you look at those two words, love and faithfulness, there is no magic key to rebuild trust. Love and faithfulness spelled time. But through those two things, you can, over time, rebuild trust. Restoration can happen. Proverbs 16, it says this, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. It says, through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. So what you see in that first scripture there is that there's a problem of sin. And ultimately, distrust and unfaithfulness are are sin. They erode our relationships. but What the Proverbs is saying here, this, this wisdom that can give life to us, is that when you choose to be loving and faithful to those people in your life, that sin is atoned for. And that, that word literally means to be purged or canceled. So in a way, through love and faithfulness, the debt that you had of distrust that's not in the trust bucket it begins to get wiped away. So that debt of distrust through love and faithfulness, it gets deposited back into trust. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Now, love and faithfulness have a lot of power. They can be life-changing, two simple words. But as we live them out, it's very interesting what can happen. Love uh, is really describing this practical action, not just emotion. I just want to talk briefly about love. Our culture has love very messed up. Love in culture, in media, in movies, in songs, in billboards, you get what I'm saying, etc. That's my definition, right? Love in all of those things is a feeling. That is not love. That's an emotion. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. The reason it can't be a feeling, because love isn't something that you fall into or out of. You decide. Love is not a feeling. It's an action. And love is actually what helps us when we don't want to consider others, when we don't want to keep our word. We have to remember, no, this isn't how I feel in this moment. It's not that I'm tired. It's not that I'm restless. It's not that I'm frustrated. It's not that I'm angry. All of those feelings could be completely real, but I can't make this, my decisions based on those emotions. I need to make the decisions based on love. What is right? What does God want me to do? And faithfulness here means to be stable, to be certain, and ultimately to be truthful. So love is the action. What am I gonna do to be trustworthy to you? Faithfulness is how can I keep my word? How can I do what I say? How how can you know that as you relate to me that that I'm somebody you can trust? Now, all of us, again, we mess up. We don't keep our word. We are inconsiderate, but through God's help and through love and faithfulness, we can restore those things even when we've messed up. And so I wanna shift gears and talk just some key ways to uh, restoring trust. Now, before we, we dig into this, I want to highlight that there's some of us that trust has been majorly violated in our life. So when you talk about these things, they actually can be very difficult. What I'm focusing on today is mostly uh, through everyday life, through the different things that we experience, how do we restore trust through making different decisions? But you may be just struggling with just trust that's been violated even when you were young. There can be abuse, there can be infidelity, there can be all sorts of things that violate trust. And so as a congregation, as a church, and as a staff, uh, we want to help you. If you feel stuck, and you feel like you can't move forward because of things that you've experienced, please reach out to us. Our role as a church is to help you. And over time, to help you pour yourself into the Lord Jesus to experience healing. And so I don't want this to come across like, well, you just... You put money in and you build the trust. No, it, it takes time. Some of this can be, it can be very painful. It can be difficult. But as you do the work that God asks you in faith, he can heal even the most desperate situations. So let's move on. Keys to restoring trust. And these apply over every situation. The first, uh, take responsibility for your actions. So if you have withdrawn something that you've done and you've distrusted because of what you've done or what you've said, what you need to do is is admit it to the person and to God, first and foremost, that, yeah, what I did was I wasn't trustworthy. I withdrew something from somebody else It could be something you said. It could be something you do. This is just this responsibility. Like, I'm going to be humble and admit that we all know what happened there. This happens to me all of the time. I get in different situations, and I realize that I wasn't considerate. I didn't keep my word. I was unfaithful in something, even small things. And God just brings that to mind. What God wants to do is he wants the scriptures to become real to us, so that we actually live it out. And so what the Holy Spirit does, when you decide to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside you. He helps you. He guides you. And he convicts. And so there's times as you mess up you do something that, you know, just takes away trust from somebody else, God will bring that to mind. And then you have a choice. And the choice is, will I take responsibility for my actions? Do you know how many relationships would be healed if we just did point one? aren't most of us just waiting for somebody to take responsibility for what they did? Absolutely. And wouldn't most of us admit that if we were to humble ourselves and take responsibility for our part, it would be better as well? But what happens is pride can get in there and shame can get in there and all those things that cause us to just, I'm just gonna ignore it. Any ignorers out there, there's a problem, you just kind of pick up the rug and nothing to see here, right? The thing is, is, is you still see it. It's still there. It's still dirty. And so take responsibility means that I'm not gonna play games. I'm not gonna act like it's not there. And then the second is, is ask forgiveness of the other person. Now, you might've been here for a couple weeks ago when we talked about building on the rubble. These are actually very similar. Part of the way you get past your past is you have to take responsibility and you have to seek forgiveness. It's the same with restoring trust. They're connected. Because in our past, Most of the time, we have a lot of empty buckets with people. But we have to do the work with God's help. I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. And then I'm going to ask forgiveness. And I want to encourage you the same thing that I told the parents. If you do wrong, God knows it. If you do wrong to somebody else, do they know it? Absolutely. Young kids know it. If you're harsh with your kids, they know it. If you say something to your kids and change your mind, guess what? They know it. In fact, they have better memories than most of us. Remember, Dad, six years ago, you said that we would do this in 2022, right? It's amazing, little computers that they have in their head. So everybody knows it. And so the idea is if you mess up, you you, you don't run from it. So you be specific about what... What you did was wrong. It may sound elementary, but I encourage you. Sometimes we're grown, you know, we're brought up to say you're sorry. Say you're sorry. Just say you're sorry. And what do kids do as a young age? Sorry. And then as adults, we, we kind of get to the same point, like, there's something wrong here? I sense there's a problem. I'm just gonna say I'm sorry, and then move on. The problem with that is you're not actually addressing the bucket. Sorry doesn't point to what was wrong, what happened. So if you want to ask for forgiveness, which is different than sorry, you take responsibility. Will you forgive me for being harsh with you? Husbands, if you're ever harsh with your wife, or you're inconsiderate, or you don't sacrifice for her, you need to ask for forgiveness for that. She knows, God knows, and you know. Now, there's sometimes, guys, where we don't know. But I'll clue you in. Look at your wife's face. I think there's a problem here. And Just, will you help clue me in And what I just did to make your face look like that? As your wife grows in her love for you, She will walk you through that process. But we can play so many games. We act like things didn't happen. If we act like things didn't happen, we don't need to take responsibility. If we don't take responsibility, we don't need to ask for forgiveness. So name what you did that was wrong. This is where I encourage people to read the Scriptures because the Scriptures actually give you categories for what to do that's right, good fruit, and what we do that's wrong, bad fruit. So if you know the Scriptures you can have the right categories for what you do. As you know what you do, you can know, is this pleasing to God or is it not? And then ask for the forgiveness for the things that are not. Beginning again, to summarize, always involves personal responsibility and forgiveness. You can't begin again if you think it's always the other person. It doesn't matter how right you are and how wrong they are. You always have to take personal responsibility for what you have done every time. Now it's true, your bucket may have a little bit more in it than theirs, but you still have to deal with those withdrawals that you have made as well. So beginning again always involves personal responsibility and forgiveness. And then number three is set out to show love and faithfulness. So take responsibility, you can begin to restore. I'm admitting what I've done, that's wrong. This could be at the workplace, in family life, in church life. Number two, I'm gonna ask forgiveness for that thing that I've done specifically, and you name it. And then number three, I'm gonna set out to show love and faithfulness. Check out this scripture from Proverbs 3. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So now you see Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Then the scripture gives another picture. Love and faithfulness, don't let it leave you. Bind them, write them on the tablet of heart. Then then you'll, you'll actually win some favor, not only in the sight of man, but in the sight of God. Now, this scripture, to kind of do it justice, what if this was literal? And we binded love and faithfulness. So the best thing I could do is to just create and I didn't, somebody in our congregation made this for me. I kind of feel like a little bit like a rapper. <laughs> it's kind of a dream of mine. MC Milk Dud, that was my high school call name, but um, you can ask me about that later. <laughs> That's the only thing you're going to remember from this entire sermon. But, um, but you know, when you wear like the the chain, right, like if your jewelry, you, you want everyone to see it. It draws attention. You're going to a nice banquet. You want the nice earrings. I'm now talking completely out of my expertise. <laughs> Jewelry. Hopefully you got some today. Um, But, you, you know, you wear it so people will see it. What the scriptures are saying is you should live your life in a certain way that you don't forget that this is the way you're supposed to treat people. Literally, like, when when you look in the mirror, you see it. When you look down, you see it. Everywhere you go, you see it, and people see it. So when it's saying bind it around your neck, it's saying attach it to you so it's a part of you. So when you relate to people, I want to treat you with love. I want to put your goals in in front of mine. It's really difficult to be selfish as the person is looking at you and you're like this. Right? Right? That's the ultimate game, but that's what happens. We say we love somebody, but treat them the opposite. It's like having this necklace on and acting like it's not there. So the scripture is saying is fix this, love, but not only that, faithfulness. Attach them to you, live this out, and it will be real. And as you do that, God gives you favor. Lack of trust, there's no favor. You ever read reviews on a restaurant that messed up or a business on like Yelp? Oh man, it's like they never recover. And it can be the same. As the bucket's empty, it feels like we can never recover. But through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for and you can receive there's favor from God. So what it's literally saying is as you love, you're you're depositing things that were distrustful before and maybe selfishness or distrustful before, maybe not keeping your word, and you're beginning to make those deposits back. Uh, In closing, I just want to give some practical ways for all of us to do this this week. Practical ways to show love and faithfulness. Basically, practical ways for us to wear this necklace and it not be a fraud. It's to be real. Love. And faithfulness. The first is this: a love uh, sympathize with someone when they struggle. If you see somebody that's struggling, love them by meeting them exactly where they are. I struggle with this. I tend I'm a guy. I want to fix situations. My wife and most women are a lot better at sympathizing with people. When I was younger, I fell into a cactus, and I got, neat like, 100,000 needles. I didn't count them, but it felt like 100,000 needles. And who I went to was my mom, who took out every single needle that I had. Now, dads, it's like, throw dirt on it, swim, you know, all sorts of, like, fix it, right? But what this sympathy is, like, I see what you're dealing with. I see what you're... And this isn't about men and women. It's about... How do I get past maybe what I think they need to do and not start there? How do I identify with where they are? If you want to love people, identify with where they are. If you identify with where they are, guess what? They'll be much more likely to listen to you. It's the same in all of our relationships. Men, if you're relating to your wife, And your wife is telling you all the things that she's focused on in her life and she's struggling with and she's stressed. What begins to happen for guys, and it's just a clue for you ladies, what begins to happen, we're like, oh gosh, my blood is starting to boil. There's all sorts of problems. And I gotta, we're gonna fix this thing. And we begin to think, like, hold on, you just told me that one thing. Let's talk about what we're gonna do to fix that. And, and, you know, we're just, we kind of stop listening because we're just like, let's solve this thing. Guys, right? Don't go all quiet on me right now. I don't know what he's talking about, hon. But what what women need is, is I want you to be there with where I am. I know I'm not at the edge of the cliff, but will you stand there and just see what I see? Guy's are like, no, you don't go near the cliff. You could fall off. But, but part of how you sympathize is like, I'm willing to go where you are and see what you see. That's how you love people. Now, love doesn't mean stay there. If it's not true, love continues. Like, you need to help them. But if you identify with where they are, they're much more likely to listen to you. Second, take initiative to help someone. Don't wait to be asked. Taking initiative is one of the most important factors of love. Because what it is is I'm not waiting for you to tell me what you need me to do. I'm going to do it. I don't know how many times I grew up. It's like, I just want you to do it without being asked. like, well... That's never gonna happen. When you're a kid, you're like, good luck, mom and dad. But what my parents are teaching me, and probably you've heard that before, is you have to grow up to the point where you're not just a robot, like I will clean my room because my parents tell me, I will do this because they said to do it, you know? (laughs) Wow, the rapper and the robot in one, (laughs) one sermon, mercy. But when you take initiative, you're saying this is important, I'm not just conforming to your wishes. I'm doing what is needed. I'm doing what is right. I'm looking out for you. We actually think a lot like this on Mother's Day, on Father's Day, on birthdays. We think like this, and then sometimes we're just counting. Kind of, man, is this day over? Because man, this is exhausting. Well, the Christian life is actually how do we continue to pour out this kind of love, you know, over time? And then the third. Think the best of someone, not the worst. Sometimes this can be communicated. You ever send somebody a text and you just, you know, open up or you ask them to do something and they don't respond? We live in a time now where if somebody doesn't respond for an hour, we're like, our friendship's over. They don't like me. They're probably mad about that thing. We're just trained, like we, we, we tend to think the worst about situations, we tend to think the worst about ourselves, we tend to think the worst about others, but part of love is, is I'm gonna think the best, that's, that's goodwill. You know what, I'm, I'm not gonna run to scenarios that are not true, I'm not gonna borrow trouble, I'm not gonna tell myself lies about this person. I'm not gonna believe lies that maybe others tell about me, so it's, it's a battle. But when you think the best, not the worst, Love grows. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't just assume the worst. Now, if they're untrustworthy, you have to be careful. But love is, I'm gonna give you time, and I'm gonna think the best. And that's how trust and love builds. And then faithfulness, just some practical things. Arrive early to a meeting. Uh, This could be anything. If your kids are in sports, try to get there early. If you come late, to one of your kids' games, you know what your kids think? It's not that important. Now, there's lots of other situations where that, that's not possible. I understand that. But as you're meeting with coworkers, as you are you say to your spouse, you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, arrive early. You're showing that, that that really matters. You matter to me because time is valuable. And so if you can arrive early, that builds faithfulness. A do what you say when you say you will do it. Follow through. And then third, if you don't keep your word, address it with the person and ask forgiveness. Now, this is, again, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Take responsibility if you don't keep your word. If you said to somebody that you were going to do something, you didn't do it, do they know you didn't do it? Yes. Does God know you didn't do it? Okay, good, good, good. Do you know? You got you catching on. Yes, yes, and yes, right? So what this is is, again, I'm going to take responsibility no matter who the person is. And I'm just going to confess, like, I I dropped the ball. You asked me to do it, and I didn't do it. Or I said I was going to do it, and I didn't do it. Will you forgive me for that? That wasn't being faithful. As you do that, people are like, whoa. You actually address issues. You talk about what you did that was wrong. Do you know how refreshing that is to people? People. We live in a time where nobody wants to be found out. We all just act like we have it all together. We don't, we're broken people. And we actually pull trust out a lot of our relationships. But if you begin to, again, make things right, begin to build trust through love, and through faithfulness, and through keeping your word, and through asking for forgiveness, through making things right, putting people's interests above yours, what you do over time is the bucket that was empty now has some trust in it. This is my prayer for us as a church. I want us to be trustworthy people where people come, and even if they've been burned by church in the past, even if they've been burned by relationships, even as people are broken, my prayer for our church is that we will be people that welcome and say, we wanna love you and we wanna be faithful to you. And through God's grace, we will do it. So as we close out, I just want to encourage you to take some next steps. These are some things that you can think through uh, in your own life, and you'll see them um, up here. And I want to invite the band to come up as we sing one more song before uh, our offering. I want to encourage you, memorize this scripture. Are you going to wear this tomorrow at work? No. He's going to wear it, maybe. But we we don't, we're not going to wear this. One of the ways you wear the truth so you can see it is is to memorize scripture. You may not be able to see it, but you can recall it. And if you can recall it, it will really help you in the moment. So if you've never memorized this verse, I encourage you to do that. In fact, on Sundays, if a verse really speaks to you, take the program that has the handout, that has the scripture, and begin to just mull on that during the week. This scripture can be a big help, so I encourage you to memorize it. Uh, The second next step is take the step God has brought to mind be loving and faithful. Was there anyone that came to your mind that you thought, I've withdrawn some trust that I I need to deposit again? I don't know who that is for you. But I encourage you, if God brought something to mind that you need to make right, take that step. As you take that step, you'll make those deposits and things will begin to grow. You'll gain momentum. What happens in the Christian life is if God tells you to take a step and you don't take it, a lot of times you stall. So take the step God's called you related to being loving and faithful. And then I want to shift gears uh, to sports camp just to give you um, a little bit of sense of, of what's coming. First, I want to encourage all of you to invite people in your life to sports camp. As of this morning, we had 27 kids that are signed up. Praise God. Our goal is 150. And all of a sudden, the applause stopped. So what that means is uh, we have work to do, and what we want to do is the best invitation is a personal invitation. We have door hangers, as Emily mentioned. We're doing marketing on social media that you've probably seen if you're on there. But what we want to do is before all of that, the most important invitation is a personal invitation. Uh, The reason we're doing a sports camp is we want to bridge the people in our community. Uh, We like sports, but it's not about sports. It's about bridging the people who may not come to church, but they would come to a sports camp. So it's our way of, as a community, how can we create an environment where we can show you love and be faithful through putting on a sports camp that could bless your kids' lives. If you bless kids' lives, guess what? You bless parents' lives. And so if you've not signed up and your kids are between five and 12, we would love to have you sign up. There's a special code. Part of Ridgeview, if you use, called Zone, lowercase or uppercase, and you get half off registration. Now, if you invite people and they're not a part of Ridgeview, don't tell them that code, okay? So that's part of just, if you're a part, even if you're just here today, uh, we want to bless you. If you run into people and they've got multiple kids and they need help, let us know. We don't want money to be a factor, okay? But those flyers are really important. They're, they're just a way that you can invite somebody Let them know about our church. Let them know about this sports camp. And I think if their kids and those parents attend, I believe with all my heart that they'll be blessed. It'll be refreshing to them because that's what God's people are called to do and that's what we're committed to do. So that's the first thing. The second is this. 150 kids is our goal. There, you'll see the info. Go to the next uh, slide there. We need volunteers. How many people do you think it needs, we need to, to keep an eye and create a good experience for 150 kids. Like five, 10? <laughs> a lot. A lot. And as a church, we're putting this on. So, as a church, we bear responsibility for putting this on. So, I wanna encourage you to volunteer for sports camp. We need help. If you have any skill in a sport, and I mean any skill, like you can pick up a ball and know it's a ball, you can volunteer. If you like kids, You can volunteer. If you just want to help in any area, we have so many things from registration to helping kids, to first aid, to security. We have so many different roles. So on Church Center, as Emily mentioned, there's actually a place where you can look at next steps and say upcoming next steps and volunteer for sports camp. In fact, it will lead you to a form that looks like this. You could put that on there. Once you click on volunteer for sports camp, you can let us know the days that you're available, the times the rally that we have, and the different areas that you can volunteer. So I just want to encourage you, as we're talking about all of these things, we have an opportunity now to go into our community and make it real for people. And that's such a privilege that we have. And so I just encourage you, first and foremost, save that date, June 6th through June 10th. Volunteer. Volunteer for every night. See what God does as you exhaust yourself for him. Through this camp, God will work. And so I encourage you, please volunteer. Please register your kids. Please invite. As you do that, God will make a difference. So let's close in prayer before we sing. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name, the privilege that we have. Again, we thank you for all of the moms here. I know as a parent, it's a struggle to sometimes think that you're doing uh, what's right, It's easy to be discouraged, and so I just pray for all of the moms that they will know how valued they are before you, that they will know that you will give them the help and the strength that they need. I pray for those who have lost their moms that are just suffering with the loss of that, just feeling the weight of that on this day. Uh, Will you bring comfort to them right now? I also pray for those who just desire to be pregnant and can't, that have struggled with the loss of miscarriage, maybe the loss of a hope or a dream of a family or a growing family. God, will you comfort them as well? Thank you for our church the work that you're doing, we honor and praise your holy name, in the name of Jesus.